One of the things that I get to do as a pastor and that I really enjoy is to officiate weddings. And I've been doing that for a long time. I think I pretty much lost count of how many weddings I've officiated. There's something that I started doing somewhat recently, and that is that I started doing wedding selfies. So after I pronounce husband and wife and I tell the groom you may kiss the bride, then I turn around with my phone and I take a selfie and uh, it captures a very special moment. I don't know if couples at that time are happy because the ceremony's over or, or if they're just at that moment where, where they're just realizing we're about to start something new. We are about to experience the freedom of married life with all of its joys and privileges and responsibilities. The freedom to start a new home with all the hopes and all the dreams that accompany it. We've been talking about freedom for a couple of Sundays. It's a series that we started and two Sundays ago, we talked about freedom for singles. We talked about that. And and then last Sunday, we talked about freedom for dads and we thank God for dads. And and today we're going to talk about freedom in marriage. And so I'd like to call your attention to a passage to our text this morning, which is found in Genesis chapter 2, beginning with verse 18. We're going to be looking at marriage from the Garden of Eden, from, from that very first occasion in which it takes place in human history. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. And it reads like this, the Lord God said, it is not good For the man to be alone, I will make a helper suitable for him. This declaration of God realizing that it is not good for man to be alone and then making a commitment to do something about it is is the preparation for, for the first wedding ever in history. And as we look at this passage, I want to offer you a couple of things that come out of it that are important for us to realize as we talk about the freedom of marriage. If you're a married person, this is for you. If you're not married and you're going to be married, then it's for you. If, if you're single and you're not gonna be married, but, but you know married people around you, then it helps you encourage them and support them. So the first thing I wanna share with you is that marriage is a gift of God to be enjoyed freely. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about freedom for singles, and we talked about this Corinthian church that, uh, that Paul was writing to. They lived in, in a context of sexual immorality. They, they worshiped uh, the goddess of love, and, and all of that went along with that. It, it, it was uh, sexual immorality very much like the kind of thing we see in our day. And so when people were coming out of that pagan background, into Christianity, they wanted to know, how do we distinguish ourselves from that kind of immorality? Is it better to stay single? Is it better to be married? And Paul writes to them and says to them, you know, uh, we are free in Christ. That the marital status that you find yourself in is not more spiritual than the other option. Both singles and married people can serve God. We're free in Christ, so no one should impose singleness on you. No one should impose marriage on you. That's between you and God. And by the same token, no one should forbid you from singleness. No one should forbid you from marriage. In fact, when Paul writes to Timothy, he writes about some religious heretics who are forbidding marriage. And and Paul writes to warn about them. 
First Timothy chapter four, verse three, this is what Paul says about these people that have gone off on, on, on some kind of tangent. He says, they forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. God created marriage and everything that God has made is good. He created it for our enjoyment. He created it for our good and we are free to enjoy what God has made for us. In the story of creation, God said that everything he made was good. He said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that it was good. Then he commanded the waters to be gathered, and, and the seas form, and the dry land appeared, and God saw the seas and the dry land, and, and he saw that it was good. And then he, he spoke to the land, and he told the land to produce plants and trees and all kinds of vegetation, and, and the land produced these, and God saw that it was good. And then God called the sun and, and the moon and the stars into being. And as God looked at them, he saw that they were good. He turned to the land again and he told the land to produce animals that, that walk on, on the earth and that fly in the sky. And, and all of these animals were made by God's word and God saw that it was good. And then God gets to the crown of creation and he creates man. He creates him out of clay, out of the dust of the ground, and he forms him and he breathes the breath of life into him. And God looks at him and he says, it is not good for man to be alone. <laughs> for the first time in creation, God says that something is not good. And he's not saying that the man's not good. He's just saying that it's not good for him to be alone, and then he says, I will make him a helper suitable for him. Isn't God good that when he sees our need, he provides, and he provides in a perfect way. God is a triune being, three persons in one. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit live in perfect harmony, in perfect relationship, in perfect unity, these three persons of the Trinity. So when God creates man in his own image, he creates man to be in relationship. He creates man to be in harmony with others. He creates man to have intimacy. That's part of being in the image of God. That's why singles need to be in community and in healthy relationships because God made them for that. That's why married people can find fulfillment in their spouse because God made them for that. I'm excited because this weekend I'm going to get to officiate a wedding in Seattle, Washington. It'll be a special time. I'm always excited to help couples start a new home. But I'm also excited because this week uh, somebody from our church came up to me and said, Pastor, we're about to celebrate our 50th anniversary and we'd like to have a special service and we'd like to see if you would be a part of that. I said, of course I would. I like to be there when marriages began and I like to check on them 50 years later and say, how you doing? I like that. It's a privilege. If you're married, then I, I want to invite you today to enjoy your marriage. Enjoy it because God gave it to you. Now, if you are trying to enjoy the benefits of marriage without the commitment of marriage, then I say to you, you're cheating yourself 
And you're cheating your partner because you're not fully into what God has given you. Marriage is God's gift. Don't belittle it. Don't shun it. But embrace it with thanksgiving. Secondly, marriage was designed by God to be experienced fully. Anytime you want to get the best out of something, you should consult with the manufacturer. If you want to enjoy something to the fullest, find out how the maker designed it. I like to barbecue and I have a charcoal grill and I've had a gas grill and I've been known to, to use a wood smoker to smoke briskets and turkeys and uh, pork shoulders. But recently, someone gave me a pellet smoker and it's the first pellet smoker that I've ever had. I struggled with that a little bit. Not, that's another story for another time. But I'm thankful for the gift. And, and so my son, my youngest son was coming home uh, for his birthday. And I said, Stephen, what would you like me to cook for your birthday? And he said, I would like some beef ribs. And I said, you got it. You know what I did? I've never cooked on a, on a pellet smoker. You know what I did? I went to the manufacturer's website and I looked up a recipe for cooking beef ribs. And you know what? It turned out pretty good. It turned out pretty good. Yeah, that's it right there. And I don't mind, I, I don't mind, you know, uh, giving glory to God for, for the things he lets us do, right? It's amazing what happens when you follow the design of the manufacturer. I couldn't treat my pellet smoker the way I would treat my charcoal grill. I couldn't treat my pellet smoker the way I would treat my my gas grill because it's got a special design and you have to follow and respect that design. God designed marriage and we can experience it more fully when we follow that design. Notice what happens in this very first wedding ceremony that God himself officiates in the Garden of Eden. We'll pick up the reading on verse 19. It says, now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. Disclaimer. The, the picture of the ribs has nothing to do with this passage. That was just a complete coincidence. But God designed marriage. And the first thing that we see here is that he designed it to be a complementary relationship. Interestingly, what follows after God's commitment to make a suitable helper for Adam is that he sends all of the animals for Adam to name them. That's kind of a weird thing. I'm thinking like, Adam saying, look, shouldn't we have the wedding preparations? I mean, you're going to make me a suitable helper. Shouldn't we be planning our wedding? Why are you sending me these animals to be named? Perhaps we can imagine Adam at the task. He's there. God's bringing the animals before him. And here comes the lion and the lioness. And then it's followed by the tiger and the tigress. And then there comes the bull and the cow. And he names them, and then there's the horse and the mare, and then there's the buck and the doe. And as the animals are going through, animals of the land and birds of the air, each animal in creation with its male and female counterpart, Adam is naming them. And by the time he's done, 
he must have noticed that every animal has his male and female counterpart, that every pair of animals had a complementary companion, but there was not a suitable companion for Adam. So God performs the first surgery in human history. He administers holy anesthesia, puts Adam to sleep and reaches for his rib, takes the rib out, closes the flesh, and out of the rib he forms the most beautiful creature. He forms a woman. Someone said long time ago, the woman was made from man's rib, not from his head to rule over him, not from his feet to be trampled by him, not from his side, but from his side to be equal to him, under his arms to be protected by him next to his heart, to be loved by him. How true that is. God created the man and the woman to be in a complementary relationship. To be a suitable helper means to be a companion that complements. God designed marriage to be that. God also designed marriage to be a complete union. After God walks Eve down the aisle and Adam is waiting there, uh, he responds poetically. He was moved by this beautiful creation of God that was in front of him. And, and he says this in verse 23. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. In all of the perfection and all of the beauty of creation, there in this paradise of Eden, there was nothing like this woman who stood in front of him. God made everything for Adam's enjoyment. The animals and the trees and the flowers and, and this beautiful paradise with river that was running through it. But, but nothing in that garden was like this woman. Eve was literally bone of his bones and flesh of his flesh. She had the same DNA, the connection that Adam felt was unprecedented. No animal, no living thing on earth could, could have accomplished that. He stood in amazement at her. It reminds me of, of my wedding day uh, when uh, Monica and I were at the altar there at Parkdale Baptist Church in Corpus Christi. I decided that I would sing to her at our wedding. And then I asked her if she would join me in the last verse. I don't think she's forgiven me for that yet, but I'm glad she did it. The lyrics of that song back then went like this, oh, now you come to me, you bring your love to me, a gift of love to me, you come to me. Oh, now the song's begun, two hearts become as one. Bound together by the sun, we'll live as one. Oh, now this holy union, come Lord in sweet communion. Bring now our lives together in oneness with the Father, that our lives may bring glory to your name. And then we sang together, oh now, we come to you, we give our lives to you. We bring our love to you, we come to you. Marriage is a complete union. When a man and a woman pledge their love and commitment to one another, they become one flesh. It's a mystical union of mind and soul and, and, and body. There's no other union like it. 
This beautiful intimacy created for marriage, is, it's not meant to be experimented with, it's, it's not meant to be shared with multiple partners, it's, it's meant to be a unique relationship. It is not to be undone easily. It is to be kept, it's sacred. The union of two lives of husband and wife is for a lifetime. It is so romantic for a young man to propose to his girlfriend and say, I want to grow old with you. Not only romantic, but it's biblical. That's how God meant it to be. God designed marriage to be a complete union. God also designed marriage to be a changing priority. The union that happens in marriage is so unique and so strong that it requires a breaking away from other relationships. Look at verse 24. It says, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. This is a really remarkable statement so early in the biblical record in the midst of a patriarchal society. That means in a world where the man of the house was in charge and where often this patriarch figure would, would uh, have much to say, not just about his wife and kids, but whenever his sons would be married, the daughters would become part of his family, part of the clan, if you would. So it's really interesting that in this patriarchal society, the Bible, contrary to that, says that when a man marries, he changes his priority. He breaks away from the authority of his father and mother. He breaks away from, from, from that kind of link. Not that he stops honoring them or respecting them, but he says, now I have a new commitment, a new priority, a new home. Extended family plays out differently in different cultures. There are some cultures that, where extended family is so tight and, and uh, it just seems that you have the grandparents and, 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 and the uncles and the aunts and the parents and the children. They're all part of this big family. And some families it's so tight that, that uh, the grandpa is the one that calls the shots. And nothing gets done unless grandpa approves. And then there are some cultures where it's more of a matriarchal thing. That means grandma's in charge. And nothing gets done unless grandma says that it's okay. And there are some cultures where it looks like dad is in charge, but it's really mom. And there are some extended families that are healthy, that they're connected and they're supportive, but they're not controlling. Every culture is different and we must respect cultures and, and understand how that works. But the biblical principle here is that a husband and wife's first and foremost priority is their marriage. That when a couple gets married, their respective parents take a back seat. They take a supportive role, not a controlling role. I have a pledge that I use when I officiate weddings and I ask the parents of the bride and the groom to stand. And then I say to them with gratitude for your love and support through the years this couple comes today to form a new family under God's blessing. And then I ask them, do you grant them the freedom to form a new family and seek God's blessing? Do you pledge to them your continuing love and support? Do you promise to be quick to listen and slow to speak? And do you covenant to pray for them in the ministry that God has for them in their future? And then the parents say, we do. It marks a moment when the parents recognize something's changing here. We're not in charge of this man or this woman anymore. They are starting a new home. Husbands, 
When you said, I do, your priority became your wife. After God, she's to be first in your life. Not your children, not your parents, not your friends, but your wife. Wife, when you said, I do, your first and foremost priority after God became your husband. Not your parents, not your siblings, not your friends, but your husband. God's design for marriage includes a complementary relationship, a complete union, and a changing priority. And if you want to experience it the way God designed it, then that's the way you need to do it. And then it brings me to my last point here. And that marriage is a relationship from which to exalt God first. As Adam and Eve joined their lives, they had perfect harmony with each other. They had perfect harmony with God. They stood in innocence before each other and before God. Look at verse 25, the last verse of our text today. It says, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Naked and unafraid. There's no judgment here. There's no insecurity. There's perfect acceptance, perfect intimacy, a perfect union. Adam and Eve were in harmony with each other because they were in harmony with the Creator. They were in harmony with the Creator because they were in harmony with one another. One of the things that I've thought neat in some of the weddings I get to officiate is some still use the, the, the unity candle, which is a beautiful symbol of two candles becoming one flame. You're familiar with that. But, but there's something that some couples are using nowadays. It's called the cord of three strands. And, and it's this thing where there are three ropes and, and the couple goes up to the table and they begin to braid the three ropes into one. And it, it is based out of Ecclesiastes 4.12, where it says, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And it's a beautiful symbol that reminds Christians, Christian couples, that their marriage is a spiritual union in Christ. Husband, your most spiritual relationship on earth is that of your wife. Wife, the most spiritual relationship you have on earth is that of your husband. Peter reminds us of the spiritual implications of our marriage relationship in 1 Peter 3, 7. He tells husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as a weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Peter tells husbands that the way they treat their wives has a direct impact on their relationship with God. Treating our wives as anything less than sisters in Christ co-heirs of the promise of eternal life will hinder our prayers, will hinder our worship, will hinder our service, will hinder our relationship with God. They are very much related like a cord of three strands. Your marriage is an expression of your discipleship. In fact, the most important discipleship Relationship is your marriage. 
Making disciples of all nations is important. We should do it. But not as important as making disciples in your marriage. For what shall he profit a man if he gains the whole world, but he loses his wife? What shall he profit a wife if she gets awards for church service and is known to be a devoted Christian and servant of the community, but she loses her husband? Husbands and wives, when we answer God's call to serve him in the church, to serve him in the world, we must make sure that our marriage is honoring God, that our marriage exalts God, that our worship begins at home. Something very embarrassing happened to me many years ago when I was in another city and in another church. It was a Saturday and my wife and I had a very big argument and I lost my temper. And I became so upset that I kicked a bookshelf in our bedroom. Nothing happened to the bookshelf, but I broke my toe. Did I tell you it was Saturday? You know what happens on Saturdays for preachers the next day? That means the next day I had to go to church with a limp and with a shoe that that didn't feel good. I realized what I had done and when I cooled off, I asked my wife to forgive me for I knew that I had offended her. I had broken the fellowship with her and I had broken the fellowship with God and I asked God to forgive me. And it was so embarrassing because from the moment I arrived to church, at church to the moment I stepped to preach, every church member asked me, what happened, pastor? I think it was God's way of dealing with me and saying, listen, you really need to get your act together because how can you stand in front of God's people and talk about God's word when your relationship with your wife is not what it ought to be? When, when, when you have those kind of temper tantrums. And I confessed to my congregation, I, I told them, this is why I'm limping. It's embarrassing, I'm not proud of it. But I want you to know that I want to restore my relationship with my wife and with God and with you because I understand how important it is that our service to God flow from our marriage, that our service to the church and the world would be an overflow of our service to our spouse. It doesn't mean that you have to have a perfect marriage to serve God. No one has a perfect marriage. But it means that you have to heart, have your heart right with your spouse and with God. Some of you may say, Pastor, but you don't know my husband. He makes it really hard. I want to have a good marriage, but my husband doesn't help me. Some husbands may feel like that about their wives. And this is what I can say to you. You can't change your husband. You can't change your wife. That's not your job. But you can make sure your heart is right. You can make sure you do the right thing by God and by your spouse. God in his infinite love has made us for relationships. He's made us for companionship and he's given us friends. He's given us brothers and sisters in Christ because it is not good for man to be alone. 
It is not good for a woman to be alone. We need people around us. We need to be in community. And for those that God has called to marriage, marriage is a gift to be enjoyed with freedom, to be enjoyed according to his design, to be enjoyed as God's gift. Marriage, God's way, it's a beautiful thing. It's a fulfilling thing. It is the thing that God uses to sharpen us as disciples and to make us more Christ-like. Would you bow your head? As you think about how God has spoken to you, I'm gonna ask the band to come. And we're gonna sing a song of response here in a moment. But as they come, and as your heads are bowed, I, I wanna ask you to think about what God is saying to you today. Maybe as a single, you, you need to ask God to help you be in community that is healthy. Maybe if you're someone who's thinking about marriage, you need to ask God to make sure that you do marriage his way. If you're already married, then maybe today you, you just need to make a commitment to be the kind of husband and wife that God designed you to be. There may be some of you here that are broken marriages and are struggling. And there's pride and there's anger and there's resentment. And today needs to be the day when you begin by, by letting your pride down, by repenting, by seeking God and asking him to restore your marriage. Whatever God is calling you to do, ask him to do it right now. Few things are as holy as a marriage. So bring that to God right now. Father, you know the needs in this place. Thank you for, for the joy of marriage, for the beauty of marriage. Thank you for marriages in this place that are experiencing your grace and your love every day. Encourage those couples right now. And for those who are struggling, for those who are lonely, for those who are in a marriage that is very difficult and they're trying hard, but it seems like the, the cards are stacked against them. God, give them your grace right now. Strengthen them. Surround them with your love. Most of all, help us to trust you and to obey you today. Just stand. As we sing, would you respond? Respond in song, respond in prayer, respond in commitment. If you want to come and kneel down at the front, you're welcome to do so.